All right, so today, um, I think I'm going to close out this discipleship thing with this sermon today. I thought I'd do one more, but I just don't think I can take it. <laughs> today, it's called, our sermon is called Disciple, Take Up Your Cross. And there, there is a change. Uh, there are, you know, three Gospels have this story in it. Um, and originally, I was going to use the one from Mark. But I'm actually going to go with Luke because he adds one particular word that's going to be so helpful that, uh, again, it was one of those funny things. I kept using it as I was writing this, and then I realized the, one, the version I was using in Mark, that, that story didn't have the word in it. <laughs> so I thought, I don't want to do that, so I switched it up. So today it's gonna be in, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Uh, let, let's pray to the Lord our God. Father, we thank you so much for calling us out of the world yet again to come to your table, to come to your throne, to worship you, to raise our hands and our hearts to you, we pray, Father, that you continue to do the good work in us that you began. Pray that you would comfort us. Pray, Father, that you would convict us. Pray, Father, that you would feed us the food that gives us eternal life, which is your Son. Feed us by your word. Feed us by the table before us. Encourage us and prepare us, Father, for another week to go into the world to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Luke nine twenty three. And he, being Jesus, said to all, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I'm going to pick up right where we left off last week. What is the primary roadblock to following Jesus? What created thing prevents us from holistic and wholehearted devotion and obedience to Jesus Christ? We all possess it. We all of us bow down to this tyrant. We all worship him. Since the beginning of human history, there has been a leading competitor to God's will, and it is our own. No matter your socioeconomic status, your gender, your ethnicity, every one of us holds this idol in common. Ourself. That is our chief idol. Self is the leading distraction, the chief idol and the costliest pursuit and our rebellion against God. Self sits enthroned upon our hearts, and what so many pastors and Christian counselors and theologians and writers do is tear it down. They tear that idol down. But I believe that's the wrong approach. I do not believe that I'm going to get anybody to stop worshiping the idol of self by coming in here and tearing at that idol. That's not the way. Regaining the highness of God's holiness often results in a hyper-lowness that creates a lot of confusion about pleasure, about enjoyment, contentment, and peace. The Calvinistic focus on total depravity and spiritual pride and our response to the modern obsession with high self-esteem is too often a dour and degrading low self-esteem. Right? How dare you think anything of yourself? Repent of your good works. That's, this is the kind of stuff we hear all the time, right? Yourself sucks. Right? That, I mean, like, literally, I go to the bookstore, I think that's a section in the bookstore. Right? <laughs> In a Christian bookstore, anyway. And God did not intend to lift himself up by pushing us all down. Okay? He doesn't climb up on his throne over a pile of dead bodies. He didn't intend for us to see his greatness by obsessing over our lowness. His love lifts up. His, his love lifts up. That's what it does. It, it fills you with an enduring love of the image inside of you and because it's his image. That's what he puts there. He puts his image there because now you can love yourself. You can, okay? It's not self-loathing. 
but self-forgetfulness that Christ calls us to, okay? It's a totally different thing. He doesn't want you to hate yourself. He wants you to forget about yourself altogether. Just put self aside. Forget it. What he wants is you to focus on him. He wants you to focus on him. Thomas Chalmers, who um, wrote a sermon uh, many years ago, several centuries, he wrote a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Now, I love this sermon. It's very, it's like reading Shakespeare, though. The man's English style and syntax and grammar and everything is very confusing. But this is an important sermon. The expulsive power of a new affection. And he makes this point. Okay, I can come in here with a bat and I can whack as many idols off of your heart as I can. Right? I will grow weary of doing that, though. Because what, what, what? We're, <laughs> it's an idol factory. I'll take a big swing and I'll knock that idol down and then I'll have to come back on the back swing and knock another one down. And that gets tiring. It gets tiring in my own life. That gets tiring in, in Christian counseling. It gets tiring as a pastor to do that. Who wants to do that? This is what Thomas Chalmers has to say. Now, it's not about tearing down idols constantly. It's about putting in its, the, the throne of your heart the only God that you should have, the only one whom you should serve. And if you love him and you see his beauty and goodness, it, it drives out any other idol. Okay, You build him up. Don't tear yourself down. You cannot tear down idols by merely pointing to their worthlessness, but you can drive competing affections from the heart by setting in its proper place God, the living God, the triune God, the only God. What idol can remain when the glory and beauty of Christ is enshrined in our hearts? That's what I want you guys to think about. If you put him there in his proper place, everything else in, in relationship to him takes its proper place. When our hearts rest in who Christ is and what Christ is doing, all competing affections will be driven from our hearts. Okay, now, there's an, an immediate and important application to this. Okay, I had several people talk to me last week because they were somewhat troubled, and this is exactly what happens. They were troubled about what's an idol, what's not. What do I have to give up? Here's a good question. If your spouse is your idol, does God want you to divorce them? I mean, that's ridiculous. Right? I mean, what are we going to do? Offer up our kids? They're an idol. That's fool. That's, I mean, right? You, this is what gets into Christian circles. It gets very confusing very quickly. I mean, if should I repent of joy, enjoying the steak that my wife made last night? Because I enjoyed it. I did. Almost to the point of too much. <laughs> okay? But what he wants is he wants us to enjoy things at his right hand. Psalm 16 says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does that sound like a God who wants you to go out and not enjoy anything? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. At his right hand. That's the key. Okay? I mean, not to get too off on this, this is my one thing with John Piper and the Desiring God movement, which is so important and crucial, I think, on a lot of levels. But when I first got into that, I would suddenly feel guilty for enjoying things. I think it's very easy to start doing that. I'm, there's a group of people, I think their names are the Puritans, they did the same thing to me, right? Oh, God, I enjoyed that. It's not what God intends. Okay, he wants you to orient your heart towards him. And when you do that, everything else falls into place, right? Food is in its proper place when he is on the throne of your heart. Your spouse, your children, football, which is going to be awesome to watch later, okay? It's going to be awesome if he's in the right place. Otherwise, things become idols, and all around us, the things that we have are idols. And, and so you can't go around destroying them, 
Okay? You can't go around destroying, like I've already said, your spouse, your children, these things. Okay? You, you do destroy them through repentance, though, because that's what repentance is. It's iconoclasm. It, it's taking images that you've put in place of God. Repentance is, is destroying them. If you repent of your spouse being your idol, you're destroying the idol. Okay? That's very important. Now, there is a place for some of you, I'll be honest, for me to come over and turn off your Internet and take your computer and throw it out the front door and smash it with a bat. Some of you do actually need that. But for most of us, it's not that extreme. Okay? Contemplate what it really means to gouge out your own eye not to sin. We should contemplate that. But that's not really what most of us need. Most of us need the destruction of repentance. You can put everything back in its proper place by putting Christ back on the throne of your heart. It's quite simple. A compass only works if you know what true north is. Christ is true north, and everything will orient towards him if he is the fixed star by which you guide all things. If you are guided by this, the fixed star of Christ, okay, everything else is oriented towards him correctly. Self-denial is refocusing your life on the fixed star of Jesus, the true north of our moral and religious compass. Self-denial is an exchange. Christ's will for mine. Christ's life for mine. Christ's honor for mine. We need to be so focused on him that there is no room for that despot I call self. Because he is an unruly, unforgiving, never satisfied tyrant. The tyrant of self. Why does Jesus link obedience to him with disobedience to self? This is what we're going to get into here. Why does, okay, if you're going to come after me, why do you first have to disobey yourself, deny yourself, renounce yourself? Why is, why is there that connection? Why does he put things in this order? Deny self, bear cross, follow me. And thankfully, in Luke's verse, he says daily. Daily. Deny self, bear cross, follow him. Okay? Too many of us think at the beginning of our Christian lives, we renounced ourselves, we denied ourselves, and we took up the cross that, that is the faith, and we're lugging it down the road now, and we're following Jesus. But that's actually, right? Any given day, you're off the path following him. Any given day. Because every day, deny self, bear cross, follow him. This is what we're going to look at right now. Just like last week, we're going to take this apart, and then in the end, put it back together so that we see what the point is so that we can go home and look at our own lives and see how we're doing. Are we following him? Right? So many of you guys want to follow him and want to do more for social justice, want to do more for the mission of God, and you have a heart. There's something blocking the way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so first, what is self-denial? What is it? Self-denial is an exchange, a transfer of ultimate authority from self to God. Self-denial is a renunciation of self. We disavow ourselves. We distance our actions from our own desires. We exchange God's will for ours, God's life for ours. The word deny is used when Peter denies knowing Jesus, right? What, is, what does Peter say? I don't know that man. No idea what you're talking about. I don't know that person. I have no idea what's going on in that trial. I have no idea who that person is, what he wants, what he's done, what he hasn't done. No idea. Don't know. And so that's the word deny. God wants us to look at ourselves and say, I don't know that person. Michael, I don't know him. I don't know what he wants. I don't know where he's been. I don't know where he's going. I don't know him. What he wants us to do is deny self, the will of self. Okay? Now, very quickly, I just want to say, this doesn't mean, okay, 
denying yourself, like, I don't have a favorite color now. Whatever Jesus' favorite color was is my favorite color. Whatever Jesus' favorite food was is my favorite food. He spoke Aramaic, so I'm going to speak Aramaic. I'm just going to be a little miniature of him in that way. That's not what it means, okay? God wants your unique personality, the character he's given you, the genes he's given you. He wants the unique person that you are, but he wants your will guiding you. So when I say deny self, I'm not like, right? I'm not saying dig a hole, bury yourself, you're just you cease to exist. It's, it's about the will, okay? When you put the, the will to death, it no longer rules over you. You're, you're taking your will, and you are burying that in the backyard, okay? We're going to come back to that because we need that grave. We need a, a, a marker in the backyard because we're going to come every morning, we're going to dance on that grave, and we're going to get to that. I'll get ahead of myself. Self-preservation and self-gratification are our natural inclinations, And we need to disavow both when we deny ourselves. Calvin said this is self-denial. This self-denial is very extensive and implies that we ought to give up our natural inclinations and part with all the affections of the flesh and thus give our consent to be reduced to nothing provided that God lives and reigns in us. Okay? God lives and reigns in us. What did God live for? What is his will? That's what we need to do. We renounce ourselves and we put in place of our will his will. Luke 14.33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I can make a whole sermon series just out of that. Renounce all that you have. I'm going to leave that, I'm going to leave all for a moment, and we're just going to focus on self today. Because all is too much for one day. Self, your will. Now, why? Why would, what's wrong with your will? Now, I could save a lot of time because most of you know. Most of you know yourselves. You're like, what's wrong with my will? Well, let's just go over this last week. But because we're Christians, because we believe in the word of God, we're going to guide our minds by scripture. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This this last part is the most important part. Who can understand it? This is exactly what St. Paul says in Romans 7.5. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I hate it, and yet I do it. I love this over here, and I don't. Who can understand the heart? And this is very confusing for us as Christians, because Christ has come, and he's given us a new heart. So why couldn't we just trust it? Except you have this very pesky thing that's still attached to your heart. It's called your desire. Your desires are what leads you astray. James 1, 14, 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay? You, you desire to eat. We all do. And so you, you eat too much. Okay? What we, we have a hard time controlling the natural appetites we already have. This is why Satan's a genius. And the fact that he, all he's got to do is bend our desires. And he never has to come and tempt each one of us every time to sin. Because we're just walking around with temptation. Because... Think of all the sins we commit, right? With our minds, right? The natural desires to eat, the natural desires of pleasure, the natural desires with your wife, your spouse. All those things are natural. And what happens is they run too far and they're not guided by him. They're guided by us. Okay, is this making sense? This is the problem. We have, it's confusing what's going on in here because we're incomplete. We're shifting sands. And if you build your life on that, that's bad. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you, okay, 
to replace your will with his so that you're guided by him. What does he want? What is he calling you to? What circumstances has he put you in because he wants you to endure them? He wants you to go into that situation and do his will in it. That's the question. Forget yourself, right? How many of us desire something other than what God wants? I mean, how many of you guys honestly get up in the morning and say, I want what God wants, whatever it is? That's not your natural inclination. Your natural inclination is to self-preservation and self-gratification. Okay? We please ourselves. We guide ourselves. We protect ourselves. Right? We don't like harm coming to this. It hurts. (laughs) So we're going to take ourselves out of any situation that's going to bring harm to not only what we think of ourselves, but our actual physical, our physical bodies. Okay? Now, I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. So, okay, if the flesh is the problem, why don't we just attack that with everything we got? Bring out the nukes. Let's nuke that self. And this is why Christians have always, always, always had a problem with asceticism. And asceticism is that way of life in which you are punishing the flesh and trying to whip it into, into submission. Okay, but if you think about it, if that's your plan, you're still focused on self. And, right, you're going to scar up this body and you're never going to bring it under control. So you, you haven't, you're, you're not focused on the thing you're still supposed, you're still not focused on the thing you ought to be. You're still focused on yourselves. Okay? Self-denial is not self-hatred. It's not self-loathing. Okay? That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants, us, he wants to come in and attack us and do things to us and encourage us with, through our desires in a direction that is not God-honoring, that, that get us self-loathing. He wants self-loathing. He wants that. This dualism that is so common, that's been common for hundreds of years, for centuries, where we think, okay, well, all we got to do is get rid of this, this body and we'll be fine. But that's not true. Okay? It's not true. We can't do it. It's impossible. He'll do it. God will do it. But not us. He will eventually get rid of it. And, and our wills and our desires will be aligned perfectly. But we're not there yet. Okay? We're not there yet. And so what... What you need to do is realize that you're shifting sand. You're untrustworthy. You, you can't figure out what your own heart wants. And so forget about it. Bury it. Right? I'm not going to follow that nut bar. I'm not going to follow that guy who's schizophrenic. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to follow the Lord. That's what self-denial is. What we need is a funeral for self. Okay? Every morning, daily, we need to get up, and like I already said, we need to dance on the grave of self singing the Gloria Patri. Right? We need to put self to death. Put self to death. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay? Apart from self-loathing and self-hatred, we should be happy, we should be joyous, because what we're focusing on is the victory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. If you, if you put him on the, on the throne of your heart, his goodness, his beauty, his love, compassion, everything that he's done for you, everything that he's done in the lives of the people around you, you're filled with hope and joy. Not self-loathing, not dourness, not ugly, just this ugly grumpiness that so many Christians are full of these days. Because why? Because their own hearts are all confused, and that creates a lot of angst, creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of guilt and shame. But just forget it. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are his slaves, 
no longer slaves to ourselves. And so this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to get up tomorrow morning and dance on the grave of yourself, singing the Gloria Patri. It seems like a silly thing to do, but I'm saying you'll laugh and, right? You'll dance on the grave of self. Self is done. Sing a, a song about God's glory and his goodness because that's how you need to orient yourself every day. And when you do that, right, you'll find there's no idols living here. And if you have to, if you're at work, go to the bathroom, go into a stall by yourself and dance on the grave again. Sing the glory poetry again, okay? Because <laughs> the self that we've put off is like a zombie, right? It's constantly trying to dig out of the grave and come back, right? You go to sleep, you wake up in the morning, self has grown back. And so you're constantly having to say to yourself, that person is no longer here. They were crucified with Christ. He said, it's finished. It's finished. Dance on the grave, sing the glory of Patri, and then you're ready to get down to the real business of the kingdom. Deny yourself. Renounce yourself. Okay. Self-denial is necessary so that you are able to bear your cross. This is the next step. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus every day. The problem is you will be incapable to bear a cross if self is still calling the shots. You can't get to bearing your cross if you don't deny yourself. The self is the idol you are serving, and the, if self is the idol you're serving and the object in which you find security and comfort, then you cannot take up any cross, and you will certainly not follow Jesus. Jesus demonstrates how this sequence fits together. Mark 14, 35 to 36. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And so here's Jesus seeking some other way for the joy set before him. How many of you guys have ever done that? How many of you guys know you're going to heaven you're on the road to glory, and you're looking at the circumstances, and you're like, okay, seriously, if there's any other way, please let me do that, okay? Think of the things that you endure, the loss of jobs and cancer and prodigal children, right? The indignity and, and, and the things that we have to go through, the difficult circumstances, the confusion. We look out at it, and, and we tremble. And we ought to pray with Jesus. If there's, okay, God understands our frame. Pray. Pray that if there is any other way that he'd, that he'd let you do it. But this is the crutch here. This is where it gets really interesting. At the end of the prayer, he says, but not my will. He resigns himself to the Father's will. He does the exchange. Right? He doesn't go away from here self-loathing. Right? Then the guards don't come up to him in the garden, and he starts going, man, I blew it. I'm terrible. Here we go. I'm going to die now. Never. He puts his head up, and he walks. He, he takes on um, Pontius Pilate. He takes on Herod. He takes on the Sanhedrin. He gets smacked in the face. He can do it all. He can do it. His yoke is light because he's already renounced himself. Now, let me add something to this, something very, very weird. Okay, in our text, it's one of two times that Christ refer, tells the disciples to bear their cross before he himself has borne his. Nobody knows, I think I make this point a ton, nobody knows where he's going with, with this whole ministry. People are confused. Nobody assumes he's going to die on a cross. 
right? So when he says die on a cross, it's not like, like, like me, because nobody knows he's going to do that. He's telling them to bear their cross before he's given it the meaning that it has now. Because the cross in, in this world meant something. It meant something very specific, right? We're not used to that, right? We all see a cross as the symbol of Jesus, right? It is Christianity, There's so many things that go on in our mind when we see a cross. But for these guys, none of those things existed at the time, right? Never would they even associate their leader with it anyway. So what? What does the cross represent? Here's a helpful explanation from a commentator on Matthew 10.38, which is the first time Jesus tells him to bear a cross. Christian readers have become so used to the cross as a word and a symbol, and indeed a cause for boasting in Galatians 6.4, that it is hard now to recapture the shudder that the word must have brought to a hearer in Galilee at the time. Crucifixion was a punishment favored by the Romans, but regarded with horror by most Jews, and was by now familiar in Roman Palestine as a form of execution for slaves and for political rebels. It was thus not only the cruelest form of execution then in use, but it also carried the stigma of social disgrace when applied to a free person. To have a member of the family crucified was the ultimate shame. Crucifixion was an inescapable public fate and drew universal scorn and mockery. At that public disgrace, as well as physical suffering, the public disgrace and physical suffering began not when the condemned man was fixed to the cross, but with the equally public procession through the streets in which the victim had to carry the heavy cross piece of his own gibbet among the jeers and insults of the crowd. There's a social outcast, there is a rebel, and we're going to make him carry that piece of wood through town, and we're all going to go out there and throw things at them. We're going to vent our anger, and we're going to vent our rage on this person, and we're going to shame them and jeer them publicly as they carry this piece of wood up there, and then we're going to nail them to it. So shame, public shame, public disgrace, suffering and degrading death. It's a symbol of social estrangement, from the community and civil disobedience. That's what the cross represented to them. Not the victory of God, right? Not the incarnation, not the resurrection. In this day, it's public shame. It's to be an utter outcast from community. It's to be considered someone who is a rebel and, and shamed and guilty and ugly. That's what he's telling them. He says, take that up. It's no wonder that nobody asks the question because it's so startling to them. They can't, why in the world is he talking about that? Right? Is the, does, he, does he not have faith that the rebellion is going to succeed? Why is he telling us to, to, go, to bear public shame every day? That's very strange. It was a symbol of defeat in a world where self was the chief idol. Before Jesus transformed it, he tells his disciples to take it up daily and follow him. Now, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Only a person who has renounced himself can bear a cross loaded with so much symbolism. You can't stand public shame. You can't stand disgrace or suffering or social estrangement if you are serving the idol of self. If self-preservation and self-gratification are chief in your affections, then you cannot bear a cross. You're not going to have people laugh at you. You're not going to be an outcast. There's no way in the world that if self is the idol, if you haven't renounced it, that you're going to put up with the kind of stuff people who bear a cross put up with. You're not going to be mocked. I have too much pride for that. Too much pride for that. A Christian is called 
to confess their sin publicly. Christians is told, confess your sins one to another. Christians are called to be honest about their need of a savior. But we can't confess sin and we won't if you care about your self-image. Think about this. What he's telling them is every day bears shame and public disgrace. Why? Because every day we commit acts that are shameful and disgraceful. Okay, if I come to, to you and you're my Christian brother and I tell you about shameful things that I've been doing, that's bearing a cross. And I can only do that if I've renounced myself. If I, I can only do that if I know that I need Jesus. If I care more about his glory and goodness and his lordship in my life. Okay, sin brought shame. Sin brought separation. It says in Genesis, they, they were naked and ashamed. And, and so what we do is we avoid the shame, we avoid the guilt, we avoid the jeering and the ridicule and all that stuff by pretending like we don't need a savior, by not admitting the sins that we commit. When's the last time you confessed to your child? When's the last time you confessed to your spouse? When's the last time you called Dean or I because you have a vice that you can't kick and you're ashamed of it and you want help? Who does that? We don't do that. Why? Because self is so, in, like, so definitely enthroned upon our hearts, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We don't live open lives. No way. You want me to walk down through here and have everyone laugh at me when they find out what I've done? Right? The guys that I go to church with, I want them to respect me. I want them to love me. I want them to think that I got it all together, that I'm an awesome husband, that I'm a fantastic dad, and that I love the Lord our God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, and I never waver. It's more than that. We, we don't want civil disobedience. We don't want public disgrace. Right? So we go into a world, and we hide the fact that we're Christians. We downplay it. When's the last time you told a coworker in need, I will pray for you? When's the last time you shared the gospel with anyone? Right? When's the, I mean, you go to work, they talk about the fact they watch Game of Thrones, and you just participate in the conversation. If I took all of us here, and I compared us to respectable, moral unbelievers, what would be the difference in how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we organize our lives, our resources? Right? We come here and we sing come here once a week and we participate in this show. What's, otherwise, what's different? None of us, none of us want to endure shame. None of us do. But when you love Jesus Christ more than yourself, you don't care. You don't care. Right? And, and it's those moments where I don't, I, I need, I go to my wife with something because I can't hold it in anymore and I need relief, I need gospel, and I just, I don't even care what she thinks. I'm just going to tell her. That's a good place. And that's a place I go to far, far too rarely. Okay, I, I'll be honest. Sometimes Dean and I do wonder, besides Sunday morning, what are we really here for? What are we here for? Right? People don't want to tell us stuff. People, we're the people we sometimes feel like you all want to look the best in front of. And I know this. I remember long before I was in any kind of position, we used to go to Dean's house for dinner, and I would explode on the kids afterwards. Why would you make me look that way in front of the guy I'm supposed to look the best in front of? Right? How dare you, Titus? B3. <laughs> 
What, what did I say? Something stupid. You're such a child. Right? We don't, we, we hide from one another. We, you guys hide from me. I hide from you. You hide from one another. Because we don't want to bear a cross. Because we haven't renounced ourselves. You want to follow Jesus Christ. I know you do. In your heart of hearts, you guys are here because you do have this fundamental desire to follow him. And, and you're very confused. You're very anxious. You're very uncertain. You don't know what to do because you aren't. Because this Christian life that people promised you isn't what you thought it was going to be. We, we want to follow him. Following him means imitating him. Living as he lived, serving as he served, loving as he loves. I believe most of us genuinely, genuinely want that. And we don't know why we're not. We're very confused. We don't want to ask, though, like Peter, why can't I follow you? We don't want the answer, deny yourself and take up your cross. Whoa, no, self. Self is hungry, right? I need to secure self. I need to make sure self is happy. And I'm not going to endure public shame from anybody. Right? That's what we see in our, our, in our own hearts and minds. Renouncing self frees us from a confused tyrant of selfish pleasure. To bear our cross, or bearing our cross opens our hearts to our need of a savior and a life of true service. Following Jesus is a return of our intended state as being image bearers of the triune God. Okay? The same God who says, come and rejoice, we all love that, says, come and die. Because the two things go together. When you die to yourself, you rejoice in him. And you don't care what anybody thinks. You don't care what anybody says. You're willing to admit any sin. You're willing to clean up any mess. You're willing to go to any person that you've offended and say, please forgive me, because all you want to do is follow him. That's what we need to do. We need to take him and put him back on the throne of our hearts to drive out all the other idols we have so that we can get down to what we're really here for. That's what we need. That's what you need. That's what I need. It's what Dean needs. It's what every single person who belongs to this church who calls himself Christian needs. Self-denial is the key. Okay? You can't save yourself. That's already happened. But you can, you go towards Christ. You, be, you get to the end of the story and you're one of those people that say, Lord, when did I feed you? When did I visit you? When did, right? Because people who have renounced themselves, who are willing to participate, think about what it says there. When I was naked, you clothed me. Who associates themselves with naked people? Right? I don't. If I saw a naked person, I would turn the other direction in my car. Uh, I mean, seriously, I walked up to a, one of those coffee stands one time because I, my car was broken down. I needed directions, and it was the kind that I shouldn't be seen at. And I noticed a little too late that it was, and I literally turned around and ran as fast as I could the other way, right? I, I mean, I, was, I haven't run that fast since high school because it was in an area where people knew me. And I was like, if anybody sees me there, that's going to be terrible, right? Because why? Because nakedness, we, we avoid that. So if we're driving along and there's some naked person lying in the bushes over there. How many of us would actually stop? How many of us would actually stop? Right? We want to serve the Lord, and he says serving me is visiting people in prison, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, associating with people who are undesirable. We don't even want to associate with the undesirables in our own church. That's all of you. <laughs> right? I don't want to be, no, I, right? 
we, we don't want that shame. Christians are idiots. Large families, homeschooling, really, home births. Right? We do these things, but we hide them. We don't want public scorn. If you want to focus your life on social justice, true social justice, okay, not the kind of junk I learned at Washington State University, but real social justice, if you want to help people who need it, if you want to live a life like Christ where you're living for his glory, God's glory and God's glory alone, it says in Romans he didn't come to please himself. He came to do the will of the Father. Do you want that life? If you do, renounce yourself. If you do, take up your cross. He, he's waiting, right? He's calling you again and again and again. He's making available again and again and again the gospel of Jesus Christ that undoes all the nasty stuff you've done and puts you back on track. Right? We need to decide for ourselves, what's the cost of being his disciple? Because it's not free. It's freely given, like all gifts, but it costs you something to take it. You can't have hands full of the Lord and full of the Lord's goodness and the world. And and, and chief amongst all your idols, the big one is you. Get over yourself. Dance on that grave and sing the Gloria Patri and take up that cross. Go to somebody who you trust and know and confess your sins to them. If you are stuck in a vice that you can't beat, come and talk to me. Call Dean. Well, in two weeks, call Dean. Right? We have deacons as well. We have Christians who have been here a long time, who've been involved in this kind of work a long time. We need to start opening up our lives, and we need to stop caring so much about who sees and who knows and the shame and guilt of it all. I love all of you too much. I love my family too much. I love this church too much to see us continue in the direction that we've been going which is nowhere, because there's a big roadblock in our way. Renounce yourself and take up your cross. And Christ is right here. He's ready. He's ready to lead. He's ready to show you the work he has planned for you since the beginning of time. He's ready to show you what joy and real pleasure forevermore look like. It's, it's with him. Okay? It's with him. Get up tomorrow morning and dance on the grave of yourself. You're done with that person. You're done. Christ. Take up his word. Look at how beautiful he is, how good he is, how consistent he is, how all-sufficient he is. Remember again the first love that we all had. We all had it. Right? Cry out to him in repentance, and in repentance destroy your idols, and he will return to you the joy of your salvation. And you will find he's there. My my yoke is light, he said. And it's light because in him, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. All things are possible with him. All your circumstances are possible with him. He will give you the strength to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you so much for exposing our sin, our idols, We pray, Father, that that you would put a great burden on all of our hearts to be honest about why we aren't following you, what prevents us from following you. We pray, Father, that you would give us the strength and the courage to repent and to not care about how we look, how we appear to others, 
because you love us. Before you, we are your perfect children because we are in Christ. Let us believe that. Let us renounce ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ wherever he leads so that we may have joy, that we may be full. I thank you for this morning, Father. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible. And amen.